Okay, everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a nice, exciting class. Let's hope Hashem will help. It'll come out good. Anybody that wants to sponsor this class for any reason, please let me know. After the share, you can always go on myon.com slash donate, sponsor the class, or send an email, or wherever other way you want to contact. Thank you. So this week is Parsha Schukas, and it's the Shabbos. It's the this Shabbos coming Shabbos is going to be the Shabbos in between Gimel Tammuz, which we spoke about last week, the awesomeness of the day, and Yud Beis Tammuz, which is the twelfth of Tammuz. Gimel Tammuz, the third day of Tammuz, and Yud Beis Tammuz is the twelfth day of Tammuz. Now, what's the what's the significance of these two days? So, um, in addition to Gimel Tammuz being what we had discussed last week, there is a another major element, dynamic. The previous Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, sixth Chabad Rebbe, was arrested in 1927 by the Bolsheviks by the um, in the Soviet in Soviet Russia for his work in spreading Judaism. He was running a massive Jewish operation, education system. Um, the Jewish wing of the government in in Russia, primarily, it wasn't just the Jewish wing, but primarily the Jewish wing of the of the Russian of the Soviet uh, government called the Yevsetska, were trying whatever they can to outlaw Jewish practice and mainly Jewish education. The previous Chabad Rebbe was countering them, and as much as they were trying to shut down and force all the Jewish children into the local schools where they can be brainwashed, literally. And, and 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 eradicating um which they wanted to change ch- chase god out of the schools in many ways like they've been trying to do in the united states of america but over there they were trying to shut down all jewish schools all religious jewish schools private schools so the jews have to go to that all the children have to go and get a public education where over there they will make sure ready to disconnect these pure beautiful children from their faith in God and from their Jewish practices and so forth. The free previous Rebbe stood up like a lion in the face of the threat of death, and he fought them, fighting them by just having his young men travel across all of, over the Soviet Union, villages, towns, cities, and in a very, very, in an underground network, he was running an operation where they would send these teachers teaching the kids and many of them were caught. Many of them were 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 sent off. Many of the teachers were sent off to prison, to the gulags, to the Russian labor camps. Many of them were shot and killed. And yet, the Rebbe didn't stop because he knew that the, the millions of Jews of Russia, Judaism, would be completely um, come to an end if the if they don't have if they if they allow this God if these Jewish kids don't get a Jewish education. So the Rebbe fought like a ferocious lion, and then he himself was arrested. Uh, he was arrested on the 15th day of Sivan, in the year 1927, Tafresh Pei Zion, 5687, so 95 years ago. And he sat in prison from the 15th of, of um, Sivan till Gimel Thomas, which is about, it's about two and a half weeks. And uh, he has a diary where he where he it 
says all the horrors of his interrogations and the torture and the and the threats and the violence and the just it was like the most the most horrific place to be in because they the KGB or whatever they called them over then uh, I have another word for them uh, were ruthless and they would try to instill panic and fear uh, in the in these um, political prisoners who did no wrong other than you know trying to stay truth to their faith and um, Anyways, the Rebbe writes the whole experience, and he stood like a lion. The Rebbe argued that a, that he did there was no nothing illegal. You see, essentially, according to the law, there's nothing wrong with teaching kids Torah, and according to the law. However, they would make libels that you taught things against the government. That was the idea that there was propaganda against the government being taught, but obviously it was all libels. But according to true. There's nothing in officially in the Russian thing that would be an anti-religious thing because they, the Soviets didn't want to come across that they're oppressing people's freedoms. And not the, even though they did that, but they didn't want to at least openly do that. So he did his arguments, was a back and forth. And finally, after two weeks, they sent on the third day of Tammuz, when the Friedrich Rebbe was sent off to punishment for three years in exile. He was sent off. He was on a train station, spoke to the Hasidim. He left. And when he finally got to this place called Kastrama, I don't know how long the train ride was, a day or two, I'm not exactly sure. But a week later, on the Rebbe's birthday, Yudbeis Tammuz, the 12th day of Tammuz, is the Rebbe's, the previous Rebbe's birthday himself, which you know on a birthday is a very powerful day. On that day itself, they gave him papers and they said he's free to go completely. And then... Um, and they, they didn't give him the papers on that day. They, they notified him that day that he was being liberated. And on the next day, on the 13th of Thomas, they actually handed him his, his uh, release. And the Rebbe left the Kastroma, this exile town, came back to St. Petersburg, spent a few months there until it became just too dangerous or whatever. The Russians didn't want him there either. And the Rebbe left Russia. And then he moved. He was in Poland for 10 years. He did a trip to America, did a trip to Israel, but he was primarily set up shop. The, 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 he, he spent some time in Riga and Latvia. Then he came to Warsaw, and he was there for a nice couple of years. And when World War II broke out, the Rebbe escaped with his family, and he came to New York City. And that's where he established Chabad headquarters, World Chabad headquarters in 770 Eastern Parkway. Then a year later, his son-in-law, who was back in Europe, our Rebbe, joined him. And then uh, after the Friediger Rebbe spent 10 years with his son-in-law here in America, laying the, the groundwork for Chabad outreach in the United States of America, he passed away, the Rebbe took over, and the rest is history. And Chabad exploded all over the world, and it is what it is. So as a result of that, these two days are considered great holidays in, in the Chabad world. Gimel Tammuz is a holiday um, because the Rebbe that day was released from jail where they were keeping him. And the jail was, as we said earlier, was a place of interrogations, of torture, of who knows what. And there was always a threat of death looming on him because initially in the jail, they had, um, they had sentenced him to be killed. Then after his sentence to be killed, they reversed the sentence and changed it for 10 years in a labor camp. Then they reversed that as well and they gave him three years of exile. 
So just by when he actually left the door, the, the, the doors of the prison swung open and he left the doors and he was sent to exile. Exile is bad, but it's not anywhere as close as being in, in prison. And there's a certain level of freedom that he had. He has to just be in a certain town. He can't leave that town. And he has to come in or age once a week or once a month to sign that he, that he didn't leave, that kind of thing. It's a miserable place. And obviously the purpose of it was to disconnect him from the whole network. He was the leader. He was the general. He was the whole the whole run of the show. And by that, they figured they'll be able to cut off the head from the, from the, from the whole operation. And they would hopefully, the whole um, underground movement would die out. But obviously, they're not the ones who calls the shots. God calls the shots. And God provided an awesome miracle that Rebbe was freed. And then when the Rebbe went out of Russia, and he, and he was in Poland, and then from America, he continued running the network through spies, through a whole hidden network, and even our Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe, until the Russian, uh, the Iron Curtain fell and collapsed in 1990, 1989, when, it, when, 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 the, when the government came down and the new government was established, the Rebbe was in charge and was running this underground network, reaching literally thousands and thousands of maybe millions of Jews in the Soviet Union. And then finally in 1990, uh, all this hidden work was able to come out, up, out into the open and now across Russia, there's a lot of, there's an enormous amount of open Jewish renaissance, revival, uh, study. Now with the Ukraine-Russian war, what's going on, I guess things, uh, things have weakened things a lot. But this was, this is a story. So as a result of that, the third day of Thomas is considered a holiday. And the twelfth day of Thomas, when he was given complete liberty to leave Russia, is considered a big holiday. I want to read to you a letter that the previous Rebbe writes on the first anniversary, or he didn't write it on the anniversary, but he he wrote it in honor of his upcoming first anniversary of his liberation. So this is in the previous Rebbe's uh, volume of letters. There is, I think, 13 volumes, maybe 14 volumes of letters, just letters that he sent that we have. From our Rebbe, there's about... 35 volumes or close to 40 volumes of letters. But from the previous Rebbe, we have uh, 14 volumes of letters, I think. This is in the second volume, page 80. So he sends a letter out to all Chabad Chassidim. But not just the Chabad Chassidim, he sends it out to all those who cherish Torah. Basically, he's sending a letter to the Jewish people. Those who study Torah, those... And when, does he, when did he write the letter? On the year of on the anniversary of the day of his arrest. In other words, the Rebbe doesn't see the miracle beginning when he was liberated. He sees the miracle beginning in the day of his arrest. Even though he went through hellish suffering, for the rest of his life, he suffered terribly, physically, from what he went through in those two and a half weeks when they brutally treated him. They threw him down the staircase. They, he was like a oh, steel staircase. They, they, uh, who knows what else they did? It was terrible. But um, yet he defeated them. But he sees already, he's going into jail already as the beginning of that process uh, of a exile or a darkness for the sake of light, for the sake of a greater miracle. So this letter was written on the first anniversary in 1928 of the 15th of Tafresh Pechaz, 5788. To all our friends of Chabad and all those who care about Torah, 
those who cherish the Torah, those who study it, those who learn it, wherever you are across the world. May God be upon you. Shalom Abracha, peace and bless. This is the anniversary of the day that I was arrested. They 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 um, incarcerated me in the prison called, notorious prison called Shpolerni, near Leningrad, which is in the city of Leningrad. The Rebbe gives an exactly place where he was held. He was held in the 6th Division, room number 160. That was the room where he was, his prison cell. Uh, it happened on Wednesday night, uh, on the 15th day of Sivan, um, 5687. And over there, they, 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 they tortured me. They inflicted me. Or I was inflicted. Until Sunday. It's interesting. They really wanted to release the Rebbe already on, on, on Shabbos. But the Rebbe refused to leave the prison on Shabbos. Imagine you're in jail. Any second they can kill you. But because it would be involve violation of Shabbos, he elected to stay there another day. Which basically meant if he's hanging out, like one of these places where you're like walking out the door and you're hoping you get, you're get you're going to actually get get out the door safely. That's kind of thing because the door can open and the door can shut and you'll never get out of there. Yet the Rebbe stubbornly refused to leave until the next day. And the end, he, he got out on the next day, which was on a Sunday. Which partial was it? That year it came out, not the week of Chukas, like this year. No, actually this year it's also. Yud Bezi and Yud Kimmel Thomas is going to be next week in the week of Parshas Bolok. Where over there it says, Matovu Yaakov, how wonderful are your tents of Jacob, Yisrael. When was when did it happen? On the third day of the month of Tammuz, that's when they liberate him from jail. But that very day I was forced to go out to exile. to the city of refuge, Kastrama. Basically meant to a city of where he's not allowed to leave. And my exile was to be kept three years. Everybody knows clearly. Everybody knows that my imprisonment and my exile came to me as a result of the, the, the medium of the slander of our brothers who hate us and those who want to excommunicate us. In other words, the Rebbe knew that it was the Jewish communists the Jewish atheistic or those who claim they're atheistic, secular communists who couldn't stand that Judaism will thrive and were trying to take the Jewish people, rip their soul out of them and make Judaism be or the Jewish people assimilate amongst the Russian communist society. And therefore they slandered and made up all kinds of accusations against the leader who was not allowing that to happen. Those who are taking revenge on those that are keeping the, the faith of Moses, of Moshe, and the Jewish people. Which basically is what they did, not me, what they did was against the law of the country and of the government. These people could not stand. The, 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 the blossoming of the rose of Jacob. The Friedrich Rebbe is a very poetic writer. So we know on, on Purim we sing Shoshana Siakov 
the, the rose of Yaakov, the rose of Jacob, Tzahola is rejoicing. So the blossoming of the Jewish rose, when we study Torah, we create this beautiful rose and do mitzvahs, godly rose in this world. The spreading of Torah that was going on in all across the country. That's why they they um, they made a libel. They uh, whatever Badu means. They they uh, forgot the words. Not coming to me right now. Uh, a, a fake libel in order to crush me. But their real intention wasn't just a war against me. They knew if they chop my me off, they're really cutting off the head. And by doing that, they would cause a complete end to the house of Jacob. Because the Rebbe knows the truth. If you cut the Jews off from Torah and mitzvahs, you're basically killing the Jewish people. Rebbe Nusad Yagoin, the great uh, uh, thousand years ago, great leader of the Jewish people, wrote, our nation is only a nation with its Torah and with its mitzvah. We're not a nation because we belong in a land. We're not a nation because we have a national anthem. Not a nation because we eat certain kind of foods or this kind of culture or that kind of culture. We are a nation, not like all other nations. We are a nation not because we have a nation only because of our faith and our mitzvah observance. That's what keeps the Jewish people as a people. So by cutting off our mitzvah observance, they were going to, God forbid, cut off Israel completely from the world. The kindness of God doesn't end. Two things, the kindness of God and the merit of our holy fathers, which never ends because the Rebbe is really blaming or attributing or crediting his own, his own liberation, not with his own holiness and not because of his own worthiness, but because of God's kindness and because the merits of his ancestors. And the merit of our fathers and God's kindness that will never end. It ne- that has not ended and it will never end to those that are following in their footsteps of these, these fathers. He's referring to fathers most probably, not to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, them as well, but he's referring to the Hasidic fathers, the great the Rabbi and the uh, Baal Shem Tov and his students at the Alter Rebbe, the Chabad Rabbi. So what he, now he's now he's describing the miracle before he described the 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 the, the imprisonment and the exile. Now he says in so on the twelfth day to the month of Tammuz, that's already a week later on the third day. Oh, I made a mistake. So I was right. Gimel Tammuz that year came out on Parshas Bullock. Yudbeis Tammuz, that's the third day of Tammuz. Yudbeis Tammuz came out a week later in Parshas Pinchas. So our calendar is lagging behind this year. Okay, it doesn't always come out the same. Um, so um, on the Parsha, we're like a week. Gimel Tammuz came out in Korach, and, and Yudbeis Tammuz came out in Bullock. Then it was one week ahead. Geula Nasnoli. And that parsha where it says God gives to Pinchas a covenant of peace, that means God rewarded Pinchas. Who's Pinchas? Someone who fought, fought for God bravely and didn't and wasn't afraid of anybody. He was the one who killed the Midianite princess by Moses, right? Moshe, and he had incredible uh, mysterious nefesh, incredible heroism to stand up for what's right. 
the Friedegger Reb is basically in a very um, hinting that the previous Reb also fought heroically when no one else, alone, he was the only one who stood up. So God promised him and gave him a covenant of peace. What's that? They gave me redemption. Redemption was sent to me. But here is a very important statement which we're going to base our class today. It's not me alone that God saved on the 12th day of Thomas. It's not a personal redemption. He said this redemption is a redemption for all those who hold dear our holy Torah. All those who observe the commandments. And also all those people who only call, who, who see their Jewishness as a nickname. Wow. So he's saying, my redemption is for everybody. From those that are the most devout and the most committed to those that are the most alienated and so disconnected that they don't give too much importance to being a Jew. It's actually very secondary to them. It's like, okay, I happen to be Jewish, but it's not really their identity. And even those people who only call, who, who we call them Jewish, but there's nothing in their life that's Jewish. Even for them, this day is a holiday. It's a redemption for them as well. Now, you'll say, what's the connection? These people don't care much about Judaism. Actually, some of these people arrested the Rebbe. They were the ones who arrested him. And yet he says it's a redemption for them as well. He says, because what you see on the outside is not what's going on on the inside. Even those who claim to be very indifferent to being Jewish, that's their proclaiming or that's their consciousness. But that's not who they really are if you dig a little deeper. If you dig into their soul, you find out that they, that they really, they too as well, identify very deeply with being Jewish and are very strong believers in God, even though externally they might argue to the opposite, that they're atheists or uh, what do they call it, agnostics or whatever it is. The Rebbe is really saying, look at these words, not considering their, their, their matzav, their aprati, their, their, con- their level of observance, their, their particular state. His heart is always sincere with God and his Torah. And therefore, even those who might be still disconnected, they are also part of this. For them, it's also a holiday. He's basically saying it's really a holiday for all of Israel. Um, I'm just going to tell you something. I, I was thinking to say this later in the class, but I'm saying it now because it's so precious, and I'm scared I'm going to forget to say it. Today, I read in one of the previous Rebbe's talks on Purim, unrelated to this at all, um, I got an answer from the Rebbe to learn a certain mimer. Uh, I was on my way back from San Francisco. I went to speak there, and I wanted to see if I have a, a message to me, and I opened up randomly one of the Rebbe's letters on my phone. This stuff gives me chills, mimer's chills. And I read there, he's writing to someone that you should learn the mimer of Purim, uh, uh, 57, Tavshim Aleph, which is 1941. Learn my father-in-law's discourse and the Sicha related to it. So the natural, my natural response to that was, okay, there's nothing over here that seems to be talking to me, so goodbye. But then I said, what do you mean? Maybe he's telling me to learn that. So I actually did that yesterday, and I learned that discourse, and I got goosebumps. 
Because the previous Rebbe is describing me. I'm not going to say all the nice things he says over there. <laughs> He's describing all the things that I need to fix. Okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to share that. I'm not even going to teach the mimer because then you'll know what I know that I have to fix. So that, that, that it, literally, it was like, I couldn't believe it. He's taught, whatever. Maybe one day, when, after I fix all these things, I'll come back and I'll share with you. But if he was ever talking about someone, he's talking exactly to the fellow who's giving the class right now. So I saw from the Rebbe that the Rebbe learned that mimer. So that I learned yesterday. And he, and he addressed like so many different aspects of, 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 of like where, my, where I'm confused or where I'm struggling with. It was like spectacular. It's like the godly revelation that happens from these letters. I'm like, I'm like uh, but then he also said to learn the sikha. So today I learned the, the mimer and the sikha. So what a difference between a mimer and a sikha I'm not going to go into. But today I learned it was a Purim. And it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful, the, that, the, that talk. But over the year, the previous Rebbe relates something so magnificent. He says, in my 40 years of dealing with public, public and, and communal work, I've come across every type of Jew. He says from the extreme right-wing to extreme left-wing people, extreme communists, extreme religious to extreme apostates and non-believers. The Friedrich Rebbe that I've seen them all, I've met them all, every type, from the most sincere, simplistic Jews believes everything to those that are full of questions and those that are, I mean, everybody. He says, and in those, meaning all these types of people. And what I can tell you is that the merit of our fathers and the certain Jewish, Jewish, Jewish um, light that's there in our soul, he says, is in everybody. And he says, the biggest proof, <laughs> it's beautiful. He says, the biggest proof is that when you're having a conversation with someone who's, who's completely laughing from every, from religion and from observance and makes fun of it and says it's, claims that he has absolutely no belief. If in the course of the conversation you mentioned to him something about his ancestor, his grandfather, or his uh, town, they suddenly become very serious and say, "Oh, my great, my great grandfather! Oh, he was the rabbi over there. He was the my 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 uncle. He was uh, he he published a Jewish work, uh, a safer like this." So why are you getting so excited about something that you that you yourself believe is rubbish? You yourself believe is so is so. He says, "But you will see every single one of them." He's talking about 50, 60 years ago that when they're talking about their ancestry, there's a certain inner pride and there's something like lights up in their eyes. Which the Friedrich Rebbe says, so you see clearly that even if it's unbeknown to them, they're so identified. Their identity is so much their Jewish identity. See, you can't hide it from me, the Rebbe says. I see it all over you. I see, I see your, 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 godly, your godly spark written all over you. So that's what he's saying over here. It's for everybody. And that's the content of actually of today's talk. So now, now we continue with the letter. He says, today is the 12th day of the month of Tammuz. So the Friedrich Rebbe on the first anniversary is establishing, this is two weeks before he's going to reach the anniversary of the actual liberation. Or actually, it's uh, almost a month before. He's saying that the day of the 12th of Tammuz should be celebrated as a day of, it's a day of, it's, it's a chag, it's a, it's, a, it's a holiday. It's a holiday for who? It's a redemption for those who work in spreading Torah. Because on that day, 
on the 12th of Tammuz, it became revealed to the eyes of everybody, for the whole world to see. That the great work that I have done in spreading Torah and strengthening Judaism is not illegal. It's actually legal to, to teach Torah. And therefore it liberated all people who want to spread Torah, but they're afraid to do so because of government restriction. It clarified that it's not illegal. Which the government gives rights, rights of freedom, the shame to those who are religious. The Rebbe is saying that in, from the, the Rebbe is very, obviously the Rebbe is living in Soviet Russia. He knows the persecution to the Jewish people. But the Rebbe is arguing that all that is illegal. Based on the laws of the country, religious people and non-religious people are all free to practice, to live their lives. The, all this persecution is because of people who want to distort the laws of the country and create this, uh, and therefore bring all kinds of libels and uh, against these. And the way it was it worked in the Russian jails that you didn't have to have. There was no real courts cases with real evidence. Everything was done in the in the cellars of the KGB's offices. They had tribunals that sentenced people to death on nothing based on false documents, forgery, and all kinds of stuff. They didn't need anything. And also tortured um, confessions. That's what they did. They tortured people so terribly until they confessed. Once they confessed, they forced them to sign. You sign, and then they can they, they will send them off to Siberia for 20 years. You know how the Russians work. But again. They forced them to 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 to, to state um, anti uh, anti uh, Soviet activity, which is outside of the religious thing or the religion itself. And teaching Torah was not. There's nowhere in the Russian books where that says you're not allowed. To. So the Rebbe says today, however, it became known to everybody that this is permitted. and therefore today. That the light of the merit of Torah of the public, he says, the bright light of Torah dispersed the heavy clouds of darkness and and false false libels. It, the light dispersed the darkness. It is fitting to set this day. In, in the Jewish calendar for all time, for a day of of gathering together, the hisoiderus and awakening, in strengthening Torah and strengthening Judaism, every country and every place, how you will strengthen Judaism and and Jewish values and Jewish practice in your city in your place. Well, you got to work every place according to what is needed in that place, right? But but the day itself, the energy is that we should that we should strengthen Judaism. And that people should also help out Jews who are left in Russia, who are still under the oppression. We should bless them. The Rebbe is saying that during these Fabrengans, we know that during a Fabrengan, when, when people, a Fabrengan is a gathering where People get together. You, you have a little lachayim, uh, which means you drink a little, a little um, alcoholic beverage. <laughs> Don't have to explain it. A little, a little, uh, a little whiskey, a little thing. 
and you say l'chaim, you make a blessing, you eat some pickles and herring and crackers, you speak words of inspiration and stories, and you sing songs, deep it's very powerful. And God is present at these gatherings because they have a very pure and inner energy of unity. And, 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 and during that time, if you make a blessing, and the Rebbe says you should utilize those gatherings to bless the Jews that are in Russia. And by us blessing them, that will empower them. That Hashem should, what's the blessing? That Hashem should strengthen their heart and the hearts of their children to remain Jewish all through their alienation period. And this is one of the biggest miracles that 70 years of communist total cutoff of Judaism from in Russia, and yet Judaism is so flourishing all across Russia. It's unbelievable. Um, so this is the Rebbe says we should bless them that this that this should continue. And also that these that these wicked ones, these um, um, evildoers, should not be able to um, oppress them anymore. That should be part of the blessing. Uh, and, and basically, this is the the idea, and he gives it that a blessing. It's it, the let the letter goes on, but this is the main idea. So the Rebbe is establishing the day as a day of a yomtiv. It's a holiday for all the Jewish people. So this is the letter from the Rabbi Yisdef Yitzchak, the um, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, and then this Rebbe, Rabbi Yisdef Yitzchak, passed away twenty years later, twenty three years later. Or twenty exact after he wrote this letter, twenty-two years later, in nineteen fifty. So this letter was written in nineteen twenty-eight, nineteen fifty. The previous rebbe passes away twenty-two years later, and his son-in-law takes over. In nineteen eighty-eight, the rebbe gave a talk on this coming Shabbos, and it was exactly the same Shabbos like this year. The dates were exactly like this year. Shabbos was the tenth day of. Tammuz, between Gimel Tammuz and which is the third day of Tammuz and the twelfth of Tammuz. So on this Shabbos, the Rebbe gave a talk, and the Rebbe is explaining the cosmic significance of the previous Rebbe's liberation, and he's explaining that it's why the main idea that he's coming to explain. Why does my father-in-law say? That his private liberation is a holiday, is a public holiday for all the Jewish people. Now, to say it's a holiday for those that are engaged in public work and communal work to spreading Judaism, we can understand. Because they're in the same line of work as the Rebbe. So when the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, who was like the major network, who was the leader of the major network of spreading Judaism, we say spreading Judaism, we mean spreading Judaism not to the non-Jewish world. We're talking about spreading Judaism to Jews, for Jews to keep, to be more observant. The Rebbe later introduced that that spreading work, that work of, of teaching, has to spread globally outside of the Jewish people. Not teaching mitzvot of the Torah, but teaching the seven Noahide laws to apply to all of humanity. But that was already the next stage that the Rebbe introduced. So this, this work, so we can understand, people that are engaged in that same kind of work, that experience setbacks and experience all kinds of difficulties and hardships coming from within and from without. If you're running an organization trying to spread Judaism 
and you're having a hard time financially, or you're having a hard time with certain people in your city that don't like the fact that a Chabad center moved in to the town because they feel it's a threat, and therefore they're doing trying to stop you and harm you. So when the 12th day of Thomas comes along, and you remember the power of the day, that those who try to fight Judaism are unsuccessful, and those who are stay the course and stick to God's will and inspire others to keep mitzvot, will prevail. And if a miracle is needed, they will have miracles and so on and so forth. So we understand that's an inspiration. So the day is invigorating. The day is inspiring. We can understand. But when it comes to people, as we said earlier, that don't feel much, not only are they not spreading Judaism, they're not even practicing Judaism for themselves. More than that, moreover, it seems to them so unimportant that they're Jews. To them being Jewish, they know they're Jewish, but to them being Jewish is kind of just like, as he said earlier, a nickname. It's like a secondary thing. It's not my real name. It's not, my, it's not, my, it's not what I'm about. And then maybe, you know, once in a while, I, 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 I'll write a check or I'll do something nice for a Jewish organization because after all, I, I do feel I, I have somewhat a connection to being a Jew, but that's about it. How is this 12th day, how does the Rebbe say it's a, it's a holiday for that Jew? So on a simple level, we can answer, and the Rebbe suggests this. We know as a result of the previous Rebbe coming out of jail and then going and being liberated from exile and then being able to, and then came to Poland, and from there he eventually moved to the United States of America. The biggest global network of, of spreading mitzvot and Judaism was established. And this is the greatest effort in all of history. There is nothing that can parallel the Chabad network across the entire world with thousands of young men and women dedicated and devoted no matter where you are, that you will bump in if you're going into any city, any place. You will always, you know, there's always a Chabadnik standing there ready to ask you if you lit your Shabbos candles or you want to light the menorah on Hanukkah or you're putting on tefillin and so on and so forth. And as a result of that, thousands and thousands and hundreds Millions and millions of people were impacted. And millions of mitzvot were done. And hundreds and thousands and thousands of people who made their journey from, who were non-observant, came back to an observant life. Some of them remained within Chabad. Others joined other move, other groups of observant Jewry. But yet their triggers were through the Chabad people who are all over the whole world. So we can argue and say it's a holiday and a day of liberation for all the disconnected Jews. And, for, and, and, and somehow we can say for them it's the biggest holiday because, because it's very not good that they're disconnected. Even though they themselves might not cherish it because they don't understand how precious it is to be a Jew. And how precious it is as a Jew to be able to do Jewish things in this world and light up the world with light of God because they don't appreciate that spiritual light. No one has taught them. No one has explained it to them. As a result of that, they don't know it, but that doesn't change the fact that if if they do start getting engaged in Judaism, or not say if, because everybody will, but when they start getting in, in, engaged and involved in Judaism, it's it's the greatest it's the greatest thing. It's the greatest day in their life. It's the highest possible thing. They hit the lottery jackpot like uh, 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 the mega lottery, the mega and the Powerball together. Imagine winning both of them together. 
So this is, and, and beyond that. So, and therefore it's their holiday because had the previous Rebbe been crushed by the Soviets, had the miracle not happened to him, like to have the thousands of people who were killed in their, in their, in their, in their prisons, in their dungeons, or died in the freezing Siberian uh, uh, gulags, had the previous Rebbe not been liberated, Chabad probably would have fizzled out. The, the, it would never have moved into the next phase of the Chabad, of our Rebbe, because our Rebbe you know, was developed by his father-in-law. So had this not been it, would have been, it would have been, so to speak, nipped at that point or disconnected, and Chabad would have never been in the world. We would have had Jewish centers, but we would never have the outreach. Judaism would have been a very weak, 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 defensive, uh, um, 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 observant Jews would have been completely on the defensive without any offense, without any pride and going out there. And, so you realize it's, it's, it's true not everybody is a Chabadnik and not, not all religious Jews identify with Chabad, but the trickle effect that the Chabad movement had on all religious Jews is undeniable because it gave people a certain pride and a certain understanding Number one, that we are responsible for the Jews that are not observant. And everybody today appreciates that. And everybody understands that, whether they're Chabad or they're not Chabad. And not only that, so many organizations have started that are actually doing it all across all segments of the Jewish people. And it's all because of the Chabad work. So basically, the whole saving of all the alienated Jews, all the non-religious Jews, all the non-observant Jews were saved on this day. And that's the meaning that why this day should be celebrated precisely by the non-observant Jews. Because this is their lifeline. This is the only way, as a result of the Rebbe's liberation, that Judaism will eventually get to them. This would be an answer. But the Rebbe doesn't suffice with that. The Rebbe says, and be true, but that's not the, that's not the, the, the real deep depth of the answer. Why? That means that they were impacted as the long-term consequences of the previous Rebbe coming out of, out of jail. Because the previous Rebbe was able to come out of jail and then continue on to America, set up his massive network. So as a result of that, his inspiration and his, his idea of spreading Judaism to everybody, to the masses, was able to reach them. And as a result of that, they benefit from it. So then it's, there can, the, 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 the day, the, the liberation of the previous Rebbe doesn't directly influence them, but indirectly. It's consequentially, consequently, as a result of, a, you take it a few steps, you see, of course, the same Judaism. But the Rebbe says, from what my father-in-law was saying, that the day itself, his liberation itself, is impacting, is the day of the, it's a, it's a Chag HaGaul, it's a holiday of redemption for all of the Jewish people. It must be that at the time that it happened itself, it sent shockwaves or it impacted everybody, all of the Jewish people. Now why? First of all, many Jews didn't even hear about it. Yes, it was public news and a lot of Jews that were tuning in, especially religious Jews, were very excited about it because everybody knew that the previous Rebbe is fighting the fight for all the Jewish people. But those who were involved in other things and couldn't care less about Judaism didn't even, maybe didn't even hear about it. And even if they heard about it, didn't care much about it. So 
how in the world is this their holiday? And what's the impact of the Rebbe's liberation to them? So the Rebbe gives a stunning talk on it. And he explains this cosmic significance of the holiday. And he connects it, of course, to the Parsha. Parsha's Chukas. Um, so let's begin a moment with the Parsha. And from the Parsha, we will, we will, we will explain it. Chukas means the statue. Parsha's Chukas is the Parsha of, which means the, uh, it's, 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 it says, Zoy's this is the statue, uh, statutes of the Torah, which is referring to the mitzvah of the red heifer. That if there is any kind of contact with death, which creates spiritual defilement, so the only way that that defilement can leave a person is if they got, they get sprinkled with a special godly um, concoction, if you could say, a certain recipe that Hashem says has to be prepared by taking a red heifer, burning it down to ashes, and then taking those ashes and mixing it with spring water. You sprinkle the water on a person on the third day and on the seventh day, and then the person is removed. That 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 impurity goes away from the person, and you're considered healed from the connection from coming into contact with death we're not going to talk about that mitzvah now we're going to talk about the name of the parsha and the torah refers to this mitzvah as the statute of the torah chukas the word chuka generally means a rule that is beyond reason it's not a logical idea there are mitzvot that you can appreciate with logic, you can appreciate them. They make sense. There are those mitzvot that we realize they're super rational. They're God's will. From all the mitzvahs that are super rational, the mitzvah of the red heifer is the most the most outside of, of, of logic, of any kind of logic. And that's why the Torah says, this is the law, the statue of the Torah. Do it because I said so. Fine. In the Hasidic discussion, in, in literature, it explains that the, the concept of chukah, which means a statue that's beyond reason, is also related to the word engraving. And the two are related. We might get to it and we might not get to it. Something called engraving. What's the idea of engraving? Um, the idea of chukah represents engraved, engraved Judaism. That's the idea. Engraved Judaism. As opposed to written Judaism. As a Jew, we engage in godliness. We engage in godly activity. The godly activity that we do, the mitzvot that we do, the prayer that we say, the Torah that we study, the kindness that, that we perpetuate, all the Jewish things that we do within the world could be connected to us in a way that they are inscribed on our soul. We write them all over ourselves, which means... Obviously, you're not writing the mitzvahs, but it means that your relationship with these with these activities or these ideas or these projects are all like the relationship of the written letters are connecting to the parchment in which they are written. So when letters are written on parchment, um, the idea of that is that the, the ink, which is the substance of the letter, is not of the same material as the thing that's carrying the letter. The base that's carrying the letter, which is the parchment or the paper. The ink, which is the letter, are two things. They're two things that merge into one. 
or are attached to each other. To each other. However, the very idea that it's possible to take some strong chemical or whatever it is and put it on that parchment. First of all, just to take water and erase. And if that doesn't work, you take hot water. And if that doesn't make, you take a little bleach or something strong. And those chemicals will go into the ink and remove the ink off the parchment so you can get a, a blank parchment. And maybe there'll be a trace of the letters. Maybe there won't even be a trace of the letters. If you have a very strong solution that can, that can, that can remove it completely. So that would mean that they're not really one. However, when you take a stone and you carve out letters, over here the letter and the stone have become completely one because they haven't become one. The stone is the letter and the letter is the stone. It's not two things that are connected to each other. So the question becomes, when we say chukah, it refers to being Jewish in a manner where where the Jewish things that you're doing are engraved in your psyche. What does it mean it's engraved? It's not something you're doing because you like it, because you love it, because it's meaningful, because you're expecting some kind of a reward for doing it. Then it and you are separable. It's possible for you to do it. It's possible if you're not to do it. You choose to do it. Why am I doing it? Why am I putting on the tefillin? Why am I keeping the Shabbat? Why am I lighting the Shabbos candles? Why am I giving charity? Why am I honoring my parents? Why am I, whatever, all the other men, why am I eating matzah? Why am I participating in a Seder or, or listening to the Megillah and Purim or whatever else that I'm doing? Why am I doing all these things? Because it makes me feel good. Because I know that if I do these things, I will get rewarded. I will get, you know, spiritual reward or whatever the reason is. Or it happens to be meaningful to me or whatever it is. But we're talking about something. That's all written letters. Written means you're you're connecting to it because it's nice, it's wonderful, it's good, or there's some kind of a benefit you plan on getting from it. But as we know in our lives, that there are so many things that are beneficial to us or exciting to us or attract our attention, and we do them, and we can maybe do them for a month, a year, uh, uh, three months, six months. But then how many things do we look in our lives that we were once into and then we don't do it anymore? Uh, some of them regret that we're not doing it anymore. Some of them we don't care about that we're not doing them anymore. Even though they were so meaningful to us and so precious to us at a certain time in our life. And that is because these things are things you've attached yourself to. They're not you. They're attachments. And anything that becomes attached can become unattached and disattached or whatever you'll call it. However, then there are certain things that tr- express your true identity. That's who you are at your core of your very being. You are you are Jewish, and that's your identity. And because Judaism is your identity, that's why everything Jewish is 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 your is who you are, is what you are. And therefore you keep Shabbos because Shabbos is Jewish and you are Jewish. So you and Shabbos are one. You and family purity, which is going to the mikvah for the Jewish woman in her marriage life uh, in order for her to prepare for an intimacy. You are one with that. That's your essence as a Jewish woman. Your essence as a Jew is as, as a Jew, kosher, kosher food is your very, very identity. Your diet is a kosher diet. It's not an external fad 
or some kind of a thing you got excited about by, by, by watching Instagram and coming across someone and said, oh, this is nice, and therefore you're doing it. Because those things coming up, this is not. This is, this, this is your being. This is your very self. Now, notwithstanding the fact that God did give us free choice, and obviously we're living in a world where we don't necessarily feel that our Jewishness is our essence. And that is due to the fact that our soul, that is one with God, and therefore one with mitzvot, with mitzvot, mitzvot, with all the 613 commandments, our soul is perfectly one with God and one with his Torah, but our soul is not necessarily fully expressed and revealed in our body. Because in order for our soul to first make its way into a body, it first wraps itself in a dark consciousness called the animal soul. And that animal soul is not too Jewish. Doesn't care about Jewish things. Cares about all the all all the all the uh, uh, um, fleeting, unimportant pleasures and delights that life has to offer, and that's what it's obsessed with. And when we don't activate and dig deep and uncover our truer inner self, and we live on a more superficial consciousness, especially when that soul together, when that external animal soul, together with our godly soul becoming clothed in a body, and the body, it's for sure just a piece of matter, piece of the physical world. Doesn't intrinsically look like that your hands are just here to give tzedakah, and your eyes are just here to look at holy things. And your mouth is just here to speak Torah and do all the mitzvahs we do with our mouth or with our limbs. It doesn't feel like that at all. In other words, we have a superimposed external identity covering on our true energy, on our true spirit, on our true soul, on who we really are. And therefore, one or two things are possible. It's possible that a Jew should be disconnected and not keep Judaism at all. In other words, even though you're Jewish and your very core identity is that you are a Jew and therefore everything in Judaism is, you would give your life for it because this is your very essence. This is your very being and inseparable from you. Yet, it's possible that due to the more external layers of our being and our external uh, consciousness where we identify ourselves with external factors. We can assume an identity based on social environments that we find around that we start identifying this group or with this people or with this political uh, um, um, uh, circle or, or, or political idea or with that kind of a thing that, that, the, that, we, that we assume certain identities to the point that it's possible that we become so, that a person can become so unaware even, sadly, in many cases, born in an environment where their Jewish identity is never, their soul identity, their true identity is not nurtured and not brought out to the surface. And therefore they can live their entire life, maybe knowing they're Jewish, but couldn't care one iota about it. And life becomes just about the pursuits of all kinds of other things. Some good and some not so good. That's one thing that can happen. Another thing that can happen, that even if you go through a Jewish education, and you study and you go through school and you go through yeshiva and you're, 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 you're literally, and you're keeping, you're observant, you're involved in, 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 you keep a home, a Jewish home, you educate your children, you send them to Jewish schools, you even study Torah from time to time, you go to classes from time to time. However, you don't feel that this is life. 
This is your this is your entire existence. That if you don't have it, you'll starve to death. This is this is what's giving you meaning. This is what's giving you your very oomph to live. No. Well, but then I shouldn't do it. This is where I grew up. This is my society. This is my place. And I was also taught that by doing these things, I will gain. I will go to the world to come. I will get a great reward. Maybe I have to give up on some physical, material, temporary pleasures for something higher that I won't get tomorrow. But again, you're living in a, in a state of consciousness where it's up to me. I can choose it or not choose it. I want to. I don't want to. It's not my identity. I'm a human being. That's who I am. I'm not a, my, at my core, I'm not a Jew. I'm a human being. I'm an American. I live in America. I live, whatever it is. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm a liberal. I'm a conservative. I'm a, I'm a this. I'm a... I, Whatever, whatever it is, I'm an animal rights uh, activist. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a vegan. I'm a this. Uh, I don't know. Whatever it is that you, that a person, you know, decides their identity is and identifies with and sees themselves connected to. And even though they're keeping mitzvot, so what does that mean? The observance of the mitzvah is not a reflection of their essence. It's an external attachment. And even if you're doing it every day, it can still be an external attachment. That's called written Torah. It's Torah. You would be considered the parchment. All the godly things you do would be the letters, and those holy letters are written all over you. But it's not you. Chukah means God is saying, let's get much deeper than that. Let's get much deeper than that. You really, really want to know the truth? You are a godly being. Your soul is me. And I express myself, my will, my wisdom, my inner wisdom, my inner will, which is totally one with me, is expressed in the Torah. And being that you, you are a piece of me, a piece of my DNA, your very existence is the Torah. Therefore, is your life. Shabbos is your life. Mikveh is your life. This is your identity. This is who you are. And therefore, you don't need a reason to do it. You don't need a reason to be yourself. That's why also engraved letters, chukah, which means engraved, is also indicative of the mitzvah that doesn't have a reason. When do you need a reason? When you are to engage in something that's not you, why should I do it? But to be you, you need a reason. Quite on the contrary, being you is what you want to be. You want to express your true identity. So chukah represents that idea of Judaism, essential Judaism, organic Judaism. Obviously, what is that in, in, in our personal lives, one only reaches this level of connection as a result of a certain level of maturity in Judaism. We start off on the external levels. Even if we come from very observant homes and we're doing everything, we start off seeing Judaism as some kind of program that we're in. But the more and deeper, the more we study, the more we understand, the more we connect. You can see it in, in a relationship. Let's understand in a relationship. In a relationship, whenever you get into a relationship in marriage, for instance, you find someone you love very much and decide to get married, you care about the person. But in your early stages of a relationship, it's always, you know, tit for tat. What am I giving you? What am I getting? I'm thinking of what I'm getting from it. When a couple is married for 20, 30, 40 years, and they truly respect each other and honor each other, and they have a decent marriage, and hopefully a good, prosperous marriage, at a certain point, they realize how essentially connected they are, how, e- how each other is their identity. 
and how I simply cannot be without you. Not the thrill of romance and all that. That's that's of course there, but that's not it. It's it's that you are my life. You know, the idea that I that that I don't care that I, that I shouldn't care about you is it, 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 it's so foreign to me. I cannot cannot upset you. I can't. You are me. It's it's they reach, and we hope all of our marriages reach that point. That's why Judaism really teaches that a true marriage is one where two halves of one soul, because we really are one being connected at the rib, meaning we are really one who appear to be two. And as we get married, we, we, we journey together to a level of this connection where we become actually one entity. One can, sadly, you know, it's sadly, but it's beautiful. Sometimes you have stories where you have couples that live, you know, there's, there's, there's once in a while you see a new story. You have a couple who are married for 60, 70 years, and then one fell ill and the other falls ill right after that, and then one dies, and within a few hours, there's stories like that, where both passed away in COVID, they had stories like that, both died together. Not that they did anything, they just one couldn't live without the other. You're not here, I'm not here. My life is you, you are me, and I am you. And that's the concept of chukah. That's the concept of being engraved. Now, here's the thing. Every single one of us has a level of engravement in our core, in our hearts of hearts. At the core of our being, our soul and God are one. And because our soul and God are one, on that level, our commitment to Torah and our commitment to mitzvahs is like an engraved letter, where the letters, which are these, these observances, or these, are one with who you are. However, that remains, that could remain at the core of your being, at your, in, a, in a level where you're not even conscious of. And on the more external um, behavioral or conscious human being, on the more regular self in which we know ourselves, we might not even feel it, know it, and we can be and our and and our practical state of existence can be either like we spoke earlier, either that we're not God forbid there is no observance at all, and one who has the greatest gift of being a Jew doesn't even know that they're Jewish or doesn't care about it. Or even if we, as we spoke earlier, are Jewish and are observant and so on and so forth, but it's, it, it feels like an, a, an external type of thing that you're a program that you're doing and connecting to because of whatever reasons, but not because it's who you are. So the real idea of hookup means that who you are and what you are at your core can come out and express itself and manifest and reveal itself in every aspect of your being, in daily life, in day-to-day activity. It would be like a couple. You might say that there's a certain point in a person's marriage where you can one day you're outside and you're 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 you know you're you're you've had like a a very beautiful day together and you're 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 alone and you're you know you're you're under the stars and you're looking. You have a very romantic moment in a sense, in a very deep moment, a mature moment, and you appreciate how deeply connected you are with your spouse, how much you love her and she loves you, and so on and so forth. And that's beautiful. That's a whole different level. When every time you go and you, you bring your wife a cup of coffee or every time she cooks dinner for you or every time you run an errand and go, she asks you to please go, like, oh, well, come from work, please stop off in the cleaners. You can sense that, that oneness, that, 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 that this is who you are as a husband. This is your identity. You, I am a married, I'm married to so-and-so. And, 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 and in the little errands that we are doing, you feel the entire depth 
of the of of the connection. Because you're in touch with this with with this with with this on a level of identity. And the same, of course, is with our children. There are times that we we feel this connection. At times we don't. But when you when when you work on being a parent and you open yourself up to understanding and appreciating your relationship with your children, you can start appreciating in the tiny little things that you're doing that you see your identity. This is my child, and I love you, and you're you're you you're me, and everything I do for you is coming from that place, and you're conscious of it. You bring it out in your into your consciousness. So the Rebbe then says as follows: He says the the idea of the twelfth of Tammuz. The, the holiday of the 12th of Thomas when my father-in-law was liberated in prison was, from prison, was that um, until, let, let's see the story of what happened, going back to the story. The previous Rebbe, the, 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 the Judaism wasn't a threat in, 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 the, in the early 1920s. Jews were becoming very, very, very disconnected from Judaism. That was taking place all over Europe. Jews were like leaving Judaism by droves, and it wasn't didn't just start in the twenties. It started in the end of the of the of the in the late nineteenth century, when um, the 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 Enlightenment began. Jews were invited kind of to participate in the secular elements of life. Until then, there was so much anti-Semitism that Jews were like kept in the ghettos. They couldn't. They, they, had, they had no choice but being Jewish. But once they were invited to participate in Germany and all these different places, the Enlightenment started spreading. It wreaked havoc on the Jewish community. So many Jews disassociated from Judaism felt that, you know, they don't have to be Jewish anymore. They were invited to participate in just living life devoid of God and spirituality and just making it in this world financially and and getting prestigious positions and honor. And that made them feel really good and very important. And that became their their obsession and goals in life. Um, when the communists um, took power the, uh, and, and started actually trying to influence this type of Judaism, Judaism disconnected from its source of godliness and trying to affect that on the people. Uh, they were trying to separate the Jew from Judaism. The previous Rebbe was the one, he was their, their, their conscience, he was their soul, he's their spark, because the Rebbe, He's the leader of the Jewish people. He's their heart. He's their nucleus. He's fighting it. And he's working on keeping Jews connected to Judaism by teaching, by inspiring and primarily teaching the children. So he's literally on a, it's a life and death mission. The Rebbe is literally Judaism on a lifeline. And he's fighting simply to keep the perseverance of Judaism alive. And that's part of exile. Exile is what creates challenges and challenges and challenges. Blocks the Jewish agenda blocks, but we know. But here's the secret of Jewish survival. Every single block on, on your Jewish identity, which threatens and tries to darken and create what we might call substitutions or replacements to what it means to be a Jew, or all kinds of other oppressions and all kinds of other difficulties, has backfires and has a, has a contrary effect. Because since a Jew's connection to God is essential, so as long as you're not poking him, it's possible that as long as life is good and you can be Jewish and no one is bothering you, then you take your Judaism for granted. And sometimes 
you stop caring about it because other things catch, catch a person's attention. And we stop caring about being Jewish. It's not meaningful to us anymore. But when someone tries to rip Judaism away from us and tries to tell us that we can't be Jewish, in some weird way, precisely that, the threatening of, that's what provokes, hey, I'm a Jew. I sense my Judaism as my very, very, as my very identity, as my very being. And suddenly I feel more Jewish than I've ever felt before. And that's the story of Jewish history. Every time there was an opposition to try to defeat, like the famous story on Hanukkah, when the, when the Greeks came and tried to stop and, and, and separate. Now, it doesn't mean it immediately has that effect. Quite in the contrary. In the beginning, the Greeks, the Hellenists, managed to sever thousands of Jews from Jewish practice and turned many Jews into, into Hellenists and into idol worshippers, into pagans and, 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 and Jews going into Greek, Greek, uh, Greek culture. And not really identifying much with Judaism. But as the Jewish people, as an an organism as a whole, this onslaught strengthens the core and suddenly it flares up. And it says, you can't take Judaism away from me because Judaism is not a secondary thing. We're not human beings who happen to be Jewish. Our connection to God is from our very essence. Our identity is our Jewishness. And therefore, for that, we're willing to die for. We cannot live life as a non-Jew. We cannot live life not keeping Torah and mitzvahs. So one of these assaults, and a very big one, was the assault on the previous rebel. Because when the Soviets came and tried to cut the previous rebel off from the people, they were basically trying to cut all of Israel off their lifeline. Because, the, because let's understand something. The Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, was the leader of the Jewish people who took responsibility for Judaism in the world. There were many rabbis in his days. But the one who felt responsible for every single Jew across the planet was the Rebbe. How do you see that? The previous Chabad Rebbe did not have a network like this Rebbe, like our Rebbe, across the entire world. But the idea of creating that network was the previous Rebbe. He technically didn't yet build it up to that place, but he, in essence, felt responsible for the entire Jewish people and for the entire Jewish mission and for every single Jew in the the farthest corner of the earth. It's like technically he didn't have a way to get to all these people and he didn't have the network set up but he personally took responsibility for every, And therefore, as far as he can reach, and at least in Russia, where, where he was able to reach, he was, laid his life on the line, and not only his life, and which was something so much harder for him, he had to take his students' lives and lay their lives on the line. Can you imagine how deeply pained and how difficult and how heart-wrenching it was when he got the news that someone that he sent as a teacher was murdered in cold blood because he sent it. The Rebbe had to live with that. But he knew that there's no choice. Because this is the fight for the perseverance of the entire purpose of existence. And for Judaism to prevail. And for Mashiach to come and so on and so forth. If you cut Judaism off, it's over. The world is over. This is the, pur- this is the whole, the whole um, uh, uh, um, um, purpose of, 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 of creation. 
It's for God's light to come to the world as a result of our preparation that we do now through Torah and mitzvahs. And eventually, there is the revelation of Hashem in, in, in all of creation, which is the time of the coming of Mashiach. So the Rebbe is that deepest core. He lives, his soul is, is at that nucleus where, connect, where it cannot be a Jew without Torah. Where there cannot be a, 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 a in, in truth, there cannot be non-observance. And because he, and he is the one as the leader of the Jewish people that smokes that flame and wakes it up. So when they arrested the Rebbe, they came so close. And when they had him in their prison, they came so close of disconnecting Jews from Judaism. And God forbid, that would have been, God forbid, the end of the Jewish people. Because had they managed to cut him off, and therefore they disconnect the leader to the people, then who would be responsible? Who would take care of all the Jewish people? I'm not saying that there wouldn't be some Jews and the rest of the world that would still be observant. Yes, they were. But the question is, how strong would that be? And how powerful and how long would that last? Which afterwards the Holocaust came and so on and so forth. Where would be the strength of the Jewish people? The inner soul of the Jewish people, the inner core of the Jewish people is the Rebbe and his connection to the Jews. When they wanted to stifle that, it was like we said earlier that when you'd want a mess and you want to cut a Jew off from his core, that's exactly when he realizes that he's Connection to Judaism is his identity. And he's willing to die for it. So that's the effect that it happened. When he was liberated and he was freed, he uncovered that dimension in the Judaism. is not secondary or an external or, or some kind of a, of a project or a program that we're excited about. But Judaism is who we are. Now, did everybody at that moment feel it that way? No. But the Rebbe says an interesting thing. When he was liberated, it had an, a, an essential effect, an effect of in, in, in the entire Jewish, um, um, all Jews are really one body, one soul. So it had a, an impact in the entire realm of, of Israel. Religious, observant, and non-observant. What was it? Identity, true identity, was now liberated to express itself. Until that day of the 12th of Tammuz, there was a, an essential block that is, that is separating the, the, the inner core identity of, of the Jewish neshama from the outer layers of 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 the person of the Jew or the uh, the Jewish man or the Jewish woman. Now it doesn't mean that there weren't people that were living with this with this with this depth, but they had to work to bring it out. But in general, there could be a a a because the nature of this deepest identity of the soul is to remain shy and private and inward. It doesn't come out. It only comes out when it's provoked. When it's when it's when it's challenged, but when people have challenges individually, it only impacts them individually. 
But when the leader of the Jewish people, who is the soul of all souls, is being threatened to cut him off from his people and from his work to be able to strengthen Judaism, and then he prevails, what that did to the Jewish people is that all of Israel, it 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 re, it strengthened the identity of Israel as a whole, and it enabled that truth of the Jewish people as a whole to emerge out into the outside. And that's why we find something stunning. Until that time, there was no such a thing of Jews reaching, observant Jews reaching to the non-observant Jews and kind of reaching out a hand and bringing them back to observance. Now, when I say no such a thing, doesn't mean that there weren't exceptions. Of course, throughout the ages, there were situations where we had what's called a balichuva, when a person who was distant and foreign came back. But it wasn't the movement. It wasn't the movement of, of, of the masses. And also, it wasn't that there was a notion that once people are removed from Judaism, it was always like the basic, the, 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 the consent was, you know, my family is religious. My family is observant. Let me watch my family. Let me watch. Let me care for my family. And if God forbid I saw one of my children reading books that were like non-kosher books, giving all kinds of secular ideas, the father would go crazy. And most of the times he found that it's too late because by the time he found the book, the kid had already read quite a few. And before he knew it, the kid threw his yarmulke away and he joined some kind of a, um, uh, you know, one of the movements that were in Europe. And that was it. That was the end of Judaism. So basically, everybody was just kind of, kind of like, we're protecting ours, and those Jews that are there, there's nothing to talk to. They have already chosen not to be Jewish, or to be Jewish, but not Jewish in Torah and mitzvot, not to keep it. The notion that, that any single one of us can go outside onto the street and meet a person who out on a plane, in an airport, on the subway, in a train, in a park, in a rest, I don't know, on, on, in the bank, in the store, uh, on the street corner, wherever it is that you meet people, and you can engage in them and talk to them and and speak to them and ask them if they're Jewish and ask them if they would like to come and do a mitzvah and participate. That concept didn't exist until this operation started. And when? It started after the 12th of Thomas of the previous Rebbe's liberation. That's when the seeds of this entire movement of what we call Harbatsa Satira, spreading Torah and Yiddish kind of mitzvah observance. And why did it start then? It's not just because then he was no more in Russia and he can pay his attention to the rest of the Jewish world. It started then because something essential took place in the cosmos. Meaning something, something awesome happened to the Jewish soul. His liberation wasn't just a private, it was a, a divine revelation, but not a divine revelation, an external godly revelation overpowering the world. It was the inner truth of existence revealing itself. And what's the inner truth of existence? As follows. To the Jewish people, the inner truth of the Jew is that as a Jew, my essence is one with God. But that could be hidden. But at this time, it came to the surface. People started to sense themselves, their Jewishness as their identity. And that's the only way 
the only real way, I'm not saying the only possible way, but the only real true way to get someone who's not observant or someone who has not been observant, let's say for generations, three, four, five generations, sometimes you meet people, their alienation has been so long and suddenly they want to keep everything. They want to keep Shabbos. They want to they become so fervently Jewish. What happened? Where did it come to them? And sometimes all it is is just a little exposure. You invite them, you show them, and suddenly they want. Why do they want suddenly? They didn't have so many lectures where they've proven intellectually that this is true. The answer is they don't need to be proven. You just need to reveal in them that they're Jews. Once they can identify, once they can sense their Judaism, a dual mitzvah, and suddenly it feels so right, it feels so true, it feels so organically who they are, then they want it, and they can't go away from it. And then they themselves become people who share it with others. And this massive explosive network breaks out. And that is a fundamental messianic element. Because what's Mashiach? Mashiach is not God overpowering the world from the outside. Mashiach is the uncovering of of, of godliness from within. Mashiach is truth. The truth of everything is divine. In the Jewish people, it's that as a Jew, you're an agent of God to illuminate the world with Torah and mitzvahs. But in the rest of the world, every creature and every being and every non-Jew is also a human being that is here to live and express something godly in the world through the seven Noahide laws, not through the 613 commandments. So it's a different type of light and it's a different type of communication, but that's the truth of every existence. And what's the truth of all of matter? And what's the truth of every culture? And what's the truth of every language? And what's the truth of every movement and every phenomenon, every existence within the world? It's ultimate truth is that God created it for some kind of a divine purpose. When Mashiach comes, the world becomes, the world identifies with its divine essence. And that's why when Mashiach comes, our compliance with God's will is going to be so, so, I'm using the word organic the whole time, it's something like that, so much who we are. It's so not going to feel like a superimposed power, like some king in Israel who is like somehow this major miracle worker and he's imposing on all of humanity to behave in a certain way. It's going to be so natural to the world, so inviting, because essence revealed. But in order for essence to be revealed in the rest of the world, it has to first be revealed within the Jewish people. Because the Jews, the Jewish people are the soul of creation. As the essence emerges within the within the the soul, it eventually reaches outward into the rest of creation and into the rest of the world. And this is the phenomenal idea the Rebbe says happened on the twelfth day of Thomas, and because it's the last redemption, so to speak, before the the ultimate redemption, which is the coming of Mashiach, and when Mashiach will come. Every Jew will identify with being Jewish. There won't be one person who will hold on to their secular identity and say, I am not observant, I'm not religious. Everybody will be observant and everybody will be engaged. Everybody will be. 
Why will it be? Why will everybody? Why do we say no Jew will be left behind? Everybody will participate, even those who you, you wouldn't believe it are so seeming to be so opposed or indifferent or couldn't care less and assimilated. Because when essence is revealed, and when identity, when your true identity comes out, that this is who you are. If, if it's the essence, then it's the essence of everybody. Because the, the essential DNA of the Jewish soul is divine. So if, for instance, there's any kind of an inspiration that's only reaching some Jews and it's not reaching everybody, is a sign that the inspiration is not the inspiration of essence. It's some kind of external factor of some external godly light that's influencing, that's getting us excited. But it's not the organic inner truth coming from, from below. Because if it's coming from the inside, at the core, er, from the core, every the core of, of every Jew is godly. So if it's core, it's everybody. So the fact that the Friedrich Rebbe writes in his letter that my redemption is the redemption of every single Jew, even the non-religious and even those that feel so... Uh, it's because the Friedrich Rebbe was really telling us what it's really all about. His revelate, his liberation is the liberation of essence, which now could has been given the power to express itself till it becomes not just the essence of the soul, but the identity of the entire person, including their physical body. And my physical body, what's its identity? The identity of my physical body is to be a vehicle for mitzvah observance, a, ve- a vehicle to be able to do holy, holy things. So this idea is just so awesome because it's just telling us how, how, how like being Jewish is inescapable. And therefore how even when we think we meet people who seem to be so so difficult to influence. We should never accept that. We should never give up. Because all it is is a little tinkering. Because the essence has already been unlocked. The padlock. Let me put it this way. Told the previous Rebbe's liberation, there was a padlock on that essence. It wasn't necessarily. The exile created a padlock on that essence. And it didn't, it wasn't. The Geula. That's what the Rebbe says. The Geula of my father-in-law was unlocking that essence. Now it's just a matter of actualizing it. So actually make people aware of it. Bring it out. Now it's 95 years since that liberation. Close to 100. And it only gets stronger and stronger and stronger and more powerful from day to day. And again, from the essence of the Jewish soul, and the truest truth of every single Jew, it helps and it leads us to the essence of all of existence. That the world is holy, not because of some external things, but because that's what the world essentially is all about. And I, I will connect it to what we've seen in the last few weeks, certain, certain things that have become godlier in the world. There are still things that are causing cause a lot of pain and anguish like we saw just on yesterday with the shooting and all this craziness. But we should never think that that's where humanity is going. Even though sometimes you might think that that's what it is. Take a look, more shootings and more stuff. 
That's that's what's being spit out. That's the garbage that's being spit out. The true things that are happening are certain decisions that we've seen that are going to influence this country that are consistent with God's will. And it's something that is coming from within. Not the rabbi isn't saying it. It's not coming from from the from the uh, not coming from the um, from the clergy. It's coming from in the the people themselves. The people themselves want to live a godlier life. The people themselves organically want to give people the right to pray, and and not and not necessarily claim that that the right to do things that are opposite what God wants. So the world is organically and from within itself um, revealing its divine its divine core and its divine essence, and that is Mashiach. So may we merit that. This great chukas, this great engraved truth should emerge completely. And when it does, there will not be a speck in the universe that is not perfectly synchronized and expressive of its divine of its divine essence. Everything. Because if it's the essence, then it's the essence of everything. Because nothing else, there's nothing in the world that came about from, from anywhere else other than God. So that means the core, the beginning of every creature and every being and every everything is from God. And therefore, ultimately, if you get you bring things back to essence, to its to it to what germinates it at its very core, it's divine. And that divinity must show. So may we merit to already experience that great light. And we all discover within ourselves who we are and what we are, and therefore embrace our Judaism, our goodness, our kindness, and our giving, and uh, embrace it because, the, because, because because this is inevitably where we're going, so we might as well embrace it joyfully and realize that this is, this is who we really are. And all other, um, all other images that we have of ourselves are all external, fake, superimposed elements that was imprinted on us from the outside, but it's not who we are at our core. May we see Mashiach today.